Welcome to the pen and the yod. This week's Torah portion is Beshalach, Hardened Hearts. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshayamit Synagogue in Chicago sits down with author Jonathan Eig to discuss open hearts and their relevance for our time. So let's talk about hardened hearts. Don't look at me. I, had a, I used to have a Haggadah that had really, really interesting um, illustrations. And, of course, I, I don't know what happened to it because I loved it. When the artist drew Pharaoh's hardened heart, there was like a big lock over his heart, like one of these really old locks. Right. You know, and, and there's a key floating around in the picture. But Pharaoh seems to be oblivious to it. But I really love that image of, like, what does a hardened heart really mean? Because here at the beginning of the portion, the 10th plague has taken place. The Israelites are on their way. You know, maybe it's time just to, like, take a pause. Right. And Pharaoh did not seem particularly soft-hearted to begin with. So why did we need to harden his heart in the first place? He was already a pretty tough guy, right? Pretty uh, insensitive and lacking in empathy. Right. And he he's not going to win any awards for being a soft-hearted, right. so, gentle um, person. So I, I think it's interesting to think about that, even just the terminology, why he had to harden his heart. What was the purpose of that if he's already pretty hard-heartened, hearted? Yeah. Well, this is also somebody who thought he was God, and, right. his, and the people around him thought he was God. And so there's it's not just what's happening inside of him that is contributing to his hardened heart, but it's also what's happening outside of him that's contributing to that hardened heart as well. The Egyptian people who see him as a god, what happens if he shows weakness? What happens if he allows this people to leave? Then suddenly uh, he's got clay feet, and the next thing he knows, he's being replaced by the next guy who's going to show just how tough and strong Pharaoh is. So there are a lot of things contributing here. As we begin this portion of really Pharaoh's swan song, he's going to end up watching his army be consumed in the sea of reeds as the waves come crashing down. And this is his final and I think worst defeat. I think it's worthy of asking, what does this mean? What what does the Torah want us to understand in the hardening of his heart? So let me throw something out to you. Let's let's pick up on the interpretation of one rabbi who said that the hardening of Pharaoh's heart was God's intervention to take away fear. So it's possible that Pharaoh would have stopped all of this a long time ago, maybe once the Nile turned to blood, or maybe during the time of hail, or frogs, or lice, that you say, okay, no more, no more, I don't want to do this anymore. So it's not that Pharaoh's making some sort of thoughtful moral choice. So this is this argument is that God is the ultimate manipulator here. He has to first instill fear in Pharaoh and then make sure that he doesn't respond to that fear too soon by backing down. He wants to make sure that the, the level of fear is maintained all the way through his divine plan so that God has to harden Pharaoh's heart so that he can finish his plan. I think in some ways, uh, I'm not sure I put it exactly that way. I'm not quite that cynical about it. <laughs> Here you go again, accusing me of being cynical. Well, I think it's... I think, I think I have, you should I have wear issues. it proudly. Okay. All right, I have issues, I admit it. <laughs> I, I think we all do on these things. And what, what I'm trying to say is that at the very beginning of the ex, book of Exodus, Pharaoh identifies himself as a god and refuses to recognize the god of Israel. At the end of the story, Pharaoh has an opportunity to let go of this all and say, the God of Israel is the God of the universe. 
and I succumb. That is never what happens. Pharaoh's hubris is part of it, but also this notion that he chooses not to be afraid of the consequences, that he's kind of in this hopeless engagement with God, and at the end, Pharaoh loses everything as a result. This is a show for the Israelites as well. So while he's hardening his heart, I think the Israelites are opening their hearts. You have this back and forth going on at the same time. That piece of the argument, uh, that piece of the analysis rings more true to me and, and perhaps just resonates with me more because we can relate to that in our own lives. We can look back at our own recent history and see instances where we get angry when we see people being mistreated and, and our hearts open up to them. You think about the civil rights movement, you think about the fact that Martin Luther King and others selected the sites for their locations based on where they thought the hearts would be the hardest, where Sheriff Jim Clark or others would be the, would have the most hardened hearts. That's where they wanted to go because they wanted to see that angry response. They did not want to go into a town and have the sheriff agree or have the, the mayor agree to give them what they wanted. They were, they were counting on obstruction. They were counting on water cannons because they needed that to get the attention of the world and to, and to make other people sympathetic to their cause. So this was a made-for-television moment. Absolutely, and literally made-for-television. They made sure the TV cameras were going to be there before they started these marches, and they knew that by acting nonviolently, they would further enrage all of those police officers and sheriffs, and that they would look even better on television. And so in that case, it's so interesting that the fear factor isn't so much in the pharaohs, the people with power, but the people who marched in those marches, right, they had to let go of their own fear. That's right. And they were trained. They had training to how you were going to react in, in situations that were frightening, to make sure that you, that you didn't run, to make sure that you didn't hit back. And they were prepared. They had this plotted out, and they knew that if they could pull it off, that those hard-hearted sheriffs, those white police officers would play into their hands in the way, same way that it sounds to me that... Um, With clubs and dogs and that's water right. cannons. That's right, and which is what they needed to embolden their own people to join this nonviolent movement, to convince people all over the country that you can do this too, that you can free yourself. So again, you have, it's a similar story. That's right. That Pharaoh was incapable and his situation made it impossible for him to do anything but chase after the Israelites. Otherwise, he wouldn't be seen as the all-powerful God of Egypt. And the Israelites were learning how to let go of fear and go forward at the same time. And so here is a modern example of the same phenomena. That's right. And if God is hardening Pharaoh's heart, maybe he's doing it to make sure that those um, Israelites are appropriately uh, motivated, that they see that there's no other way for them to do this. I think that's a, that's a really remarkable insight into the text. And I'm thinking about, I'm fast-forwarding to our own day. I'm thinking about who has the hardened heart? Who has the open heart? How do we understand that today? And I don't think it is an easy conversation to have because I think we are so open to taking our position and seeing the other side as the side of the hardened heart and the kind of back and forth, the conversation where I'm not just talking, but I'm also listening. That change is possible in the engagement 
is almost impossible today. It's it's so difficult to even have a conversation when the New York Times and other news outlets talk about how to handle your holiday table in politics. <laughs> right. So that you don't talk about it or you kind of learn how to change the subject thoughtfully and insensitively. That's not a conversation, but it shows us that when I look at somebody who takes a particular position or wears a particular hat, I think, well, this person's got a hardened heart. I'm going to avoid politics here, as, as we generally try to do. But I will say that if I had to categorize who's got the hardened heart and who's got the, the open heart, what I would say is that I think the people who are acting, who are working toward their causes, especially when those causes are about building community and about creating a sense of oneness. Those people have the open hearts. People who are working as opposed to the people who are just talking about it or the people who are doing nothing but opinionizing about it, maybe their hearts aren't as open. And by the way, that takes a certain amount of fearlessness because it's so much easier to think about someone you don't agree with as being just a reactionary. A hard person's got a hard heart. And the fear is, is that maybe they have a point to make and that I'm going to have to rethink my own approach. And can I get closer to a real conversation and maybe some sort of compromise if I listen a little bit? That takes an unwillingness for me to listen to you, calls on me to examine my own heart. That's right. And when I see somebody who's putting their beliefs into action, when I see somebody who cares enough to to devote their life or to devote their time and their energy to a cause, even if I don't agree with that cause, I want to engage. I want to hear about it. Uh, as opposed to somebody who just spouts off their opinions all the time, I'm less likely to open my heart to that. Without taking a side on, on anything, I feel like if your heart is open, you're acting on it. So let me just, let me just touch on what you just said and, and bring this conversation to a conclusion. Too often, I think, we paint other people as reactionaries the farthest extreme, so we don't have to have this conversation. And how much better off we would be if we were willing to say that there's a small percentage of extremists on all sides of an argument. The vast majority of us are somewhere in the middle. And so rather than writing somebody off because they take a particular position, why don't we give them the benefit of the doubt and make our hearts a little less hard so that we can have the conversation. Pharaoh is the extreme case, but he's not the every person. And unless we are willing to at least entertain that as an idea, we're never going to be able to cross over and at least begin the conversation. That sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.